Welcome to the Buzz in Baltimore podcast, a podcast about craft beverages in Maryland. I am joined today on Zoom by Monica Pierce, the owner of 10th Ward Distilling. Monica, thank you so much for coming on and figuring out all the technical stuff and doing this unorthodox podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So how are you doing? I know every day, every minute is different, but how are you doing right now? We're hanging in there. We're, you know, uh, being scrappy. I've got all of the heat and the air conditioning off. So we've got our utility bills low. Um, we've been sort of just going through adjustments on a weekly basis and, and taking this one day at a time. Yeah, I guess that's all you can really do. Um, mm -hmm. So 10th Ward Distilling is in Frederick, which is kind of like a booze hotbed. It seems like there's just so much going on in Frederick, but you're actually from there. You were born in Frederick and, and raised there. Uh, what are some of your early memories of growing up in Frederick? Yeah, um, it's it's funny because things have changed a lot. Growing up, Frederick actually had the nickname Fredneck. If you're from the Baltimore area, you may have heard it when you were a kid. Yes. So it was primarily an agricultural town with a small historic downtown that wasn't really thriving to the point that it is now. And then I guess, I mean, growing up, we were always like, oh, there's nothing to do here but smoke weed and get drunk. And <laughs> that was always the thing that we said. And we all talked about how we were just going to get out and never come back. Um, and then I grew up, I moved away, traveled the world for about 10 years, went to school and realized that Frederick became cool while I was gone. <laughs> and uh, the historic downtown is blossoming. We have a ton of awesome restaurants. There's so much to do here from hiking to the brewery distilleries and wineries and since 10th board has opened now Frederick is actually the home of the most uh, breweries distilleries and wineries in the state and per capita in the nation so wow. uh, there's still plenty to <laughs> drinking to be done here I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah that hasn't changed at all so speaking of what were sort of your earliest memories of spirits and kind of realizing like, oh, this is more than just sort of a fun thing. This is an art and a craft. And what was your first memory of, of that with, with alcohol? I've been, this is a really good question. I've been bartending, or I guess I've been in the service industry since I was 14. And then I started bartending at the age of 18, probably even before I was legally allowed to be serving drinks. I don't know. I can't even remember what the laws were back then. And when you're behind the bar, I was working in a college bar where everybody there ordered either Yams or Bud Lights. But when you're behind the bar, you have access to all the other stuff that, you know, sits on the shelf uh, that people that aren't 21 year old broke college students and have the money for it will will purchase and that's when I got a chance to start to um, taste other things let's see this was probably over 15 years ago now and back then the bartender's drink of choice was Grand Marnier so mm -hmm. that's what we were always we thought we were really cool to be drinking Grand Marnier um, but then I started to um, through that out through the alcohol industry and the bartending industry which I continued in for a while got a chance to taste other types of spirits whiskey especially Scotch was what I fell in love with. I love that smoky, earthy taste that it creates. And then as I, as I sort of changed in my career path, I was actually in the science field. I was the conservation, in the conservation biology field before I started the business. Uh, that's what I went to school for. I was super inspired by the boom of the craft breweries in this area. There was 
a slow um, growth that was starting to happen with distilleries here, but I loved the sort of the idea that craft distilleries were following on craft brewing boom. And I was inspired by a number of of women-owned distilleries that are still very small in numbers and the fun stuff that I kept seeing uh, coming out. So could it be fair to say that because people were ordering such dumb drinks that you kind of went the other way and realized like there's way more than just Jaeger bombs and and light beer (laughs) in the world. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. So what were some of the distilleries that you were inspired by the women-owned ones you mentioned? Yeah, I guess it started with a lion distilling in Maryland, who I actually knew uh, the owner of Jamie of a long time ago. We had met and I bartended with her sister at that same bar that I was mentioning. Um, She was the first, that was the first woman owned distillery that I had actually like personally experienced and um, was really inspired by the brand and impressed with their setup, a very similar style of operation where they kind of started with a very small amount of money, a small space, uh, just friends and family helping out to now uh, they've grown in the way that we have exponentially. There are there were only a few other distilleries in the area that I could even visit at the time. Patacton Creek was one of them. They do ha- also have a partial woman ownership. And then uh, Copper Fox Distillery is where my um, business partner at the time and myself sort of interned and learned the ropes. Uh, they are not woman-owned, but um, also very true to home and they do everything themselves. They're very hands-on. Everything tastes like where it comes from when you're at their distillery. And I right. love that. Yeah. So it sounds like even though you had these examples, it's got to be so scary <laughs> to do something like this. Like, how did you think to yourself, okay, I can, I can start a distillery. I can do this. What was that feeling like? That's definitely what held me up at first. I think for about a year, maybe even longer, I was like, you've never started a business before. You're crazy. You wouldn't know how to do anything. Uh, you just like to drink whiskey. And then I was having a conversation with a friend over a glass of whiskey. And that's how it happened. I, I said, you know, I really want to do this thing. And she was like, just do it. You can figure it out. And I did. So I've just, I emptied my bank account. I said, screw it. I jumped off the cliff into business ownership. She was shocked when she found out that I had already gotten the keys to our location like a wow. week later. Cause I happened to just like happen upon the perfect spot. And then it just snowballed from there. And that's a good friend right there, by the way, <laughs> just tell you to do it. Yeah. And you knew you wanted to be in Frederick. Like, why was that important to you? I I knew I wanted to be in a place where I already had roots established. Um, Frederick, I I couldn't imagine having opened a business anywhere else. The historic town is beautiful. It has an awesome draw for tourism. And I realized very early on that it was the right choice because having grown up here, I had access to so many resources that I might not have had had I picked somewhere else. I have a friend who's an attorney. I have a a friend that I grew up with who's now an electrician and many of them in the early stages, you know, I could buy them a beer for some advice. And I think that that not just saved a lot of time, but a lot of headaches and having to figure things out on my own, which you already have to do enough when you're starting a new business. No, I bet. I I can't even imagine. So, so where did the name 10th Ward come from? I'm just curious. We are in what used to be considered the 10th Ward of Frederick City. 
So if you uh, search, actually, I don't know, I guess you can Google search the wards of Frederick, historical wards of Frederick, and you can see a map of how Frederick used to be districted. Um, we're in what's a pretty cool region in the industrial side of Frederick because the winds in Frederick blow east. So they built all the, the tanneries and the smelly factories and those types of businesses on this side of town. So we've kind of yeah, and we brought that through in our brand, and then they numbered the wards using Roman numerals on the map. So that's where the, the X logo, which I have on my shirt here, uh, the Roman numeral for 10 came from. And then our graphic designer hand-scribed the original font from the map into a graphic that we used for um, our logo and our slogan now. Yeah, it totally looks like something that should be on like a faded scroll of, you know, mm -hmm. ancient ancient lore. It looks really awesome. Um, and, you. I, and you talked about the places and people you were inspired by, but what did you want to do differently with 10th Ward? Like what was kind of your vision going in that was going to set you guys apart? Branding, branding is a huge part of uh, experience that I've got from the conservation biology world, which is a strange thing to say. And that's a whole yeah. other story that we don't need to go into. <laughs> um, but I knew that I wanted to, to develop a very consistent and cohesive brand in terms of my marketing style. My biggest pet peeve was going to a distillery or a winery or brewery and seeing 10 different styles of product with a completely different label, a completely different font. You couldn't tell that they came from the same place. Some of them didn't even have their logo on their labels. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I can do this so much better. So that was where I started. So I knew I wanted to build this brand that was recognizable, that was bigger than what it even was. And then from there, we discussed the style of spirits. And that's where our slogan, Word Off Ordinary, came to be. It kind of, in tandem with our brand, fell along with our style of spirits. So we sort of take an unconventional approach to how we distill things. We take a traditional spirit and we spin it into our own fun, interesting way. That way we can keep that um, really cool historical aspect of 10th Ward, but then make it interesting for our customers. And I'm always very proud to tell people when they walk in the door that they're going to try something here that they've definitely never had before. And they usually end up loving it and walking out with a bottle. That's such a good point. I've been to so many wineries and all the labels and fonts are different that I'm like, what am I drinking somebody else's wine at this point? Like yeah. what's even happening? So consistency. It drives me insane. Yeah, <laughs> no. I, and now I'm going to think about that when I go to places. That's so, that's so cool. Well, and I know you were just talking about, you know, the historical aspect, but distilling is such a broad category. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. way broader than when the beer wine, for example. So how do you decide what spirits you're going to produce um, and what decisions led to sort of what's in your core portfolio right now? Yeah. You know, I, at first I, because I was a whiskey drinker, I was like, I only want to do whiskey styles of spirit. And I, and I had originally pegged us into that hole. And then the first month of being open, I realized I was starting to get customers coming in the door who were perhaps um, wine drinkers and spirits may have been too harsh on their palate. So that's when I realized I actually needed to have a variety of products available to everybody because most people visit us usually in groups of people, not just on their own. Uh, the idea for our seasonal liqueurs developed. Um, this is my spring liqueur. Every season we release a, um, it's a lower ABV style of spirit. It to it. It's more herbal. It, um, so that's one thing that uh, we developed just in response to that need. And then, and then we go from there. The recipes tend to come from lots of 
different types of experimentation. We get an understanding of what our customers want and need and what's trending. Um, whiskey and gin are the top two uh, spirits right now that are the most popular in our country. And then uh, we do a lot of times, which is really fun, we'll put together maybe four or five test batches and allow our customers to come in and taste them and give us feedback and vote on their favorite. Um, we've definitely gone that route. Other routes have been just, you know, lots of R&D in-house or even just random ideas that occur to us when we're at the bar and we're like, oh my gosh, we need to, we need to use this one ingredient or we need to try this thing and, and it ends up working out. That's so cool. I love any place that um, takes customer feedback. I'm sure your, I'm sure your customers really appreciate that, like feeling like they're part of the process. Yeah. And, and I know you guys, um, did you move locations? Was that last year? Yes. That's an awesome question too. We actually expanded into the place that we are now, which is where I'm recording on Patrick street. So we were out of space at our, in our front of house location uh, to here. It's a historic building that was built in the late 1800s. We exposed all of the brick. Um, it happens to have a beautiful um, event space upstairs. And I remember originally telling the landlord that I just wanted to make whiskey. I was like, I don't want to rent your second floor space. And she, and she required that we rent it when we opened up the space. And now we actually host weddings. Wow. Um, so I found out how much you can charge for a wedding on a Saturday. And that pretty much pays the rent here. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And then our cocktail bar, which I know you want me to talk a little yeah. bit about too. So. I love that you call it a cocktail lab. So um, yeah, the lab. what goes on at this fancy sounding lab? <laughs> oh my, so many fancy things. <laughs> it's very fun. Um, we wanted to call it, we wanted to, I guess, coin it the cocktail lab because still a distillery first. We're still inventing the wheel as we go and innovative and being hip and fun and interesting and on the cuff of all the new stuff. And so um, we didn't want to create that feeling that we are the bar that you can come to for Bud Light and Jaeger bombs. You know, you're coming here to taste high quality spirits, to have an elevated cocktail. And that's another reason why we moved here. We, the, the law actually only passed in July of last year that would finally allow distilleries to serve cocktails and drinks. I think a lot of distilleries haven't made the transition or might not, uh, but I saw the opportunity for more revenue and for customers to try our spirits in, in different ways and learn perhaps how to make something that they can then make at home and, and go through our product more. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of crazy because distilling is one thing and then bartending is another thing. And the fact that you guys are doing both is pretty amazing. I mean, it's, it, it takes a lot to like set up a bar program completely separate from the cocktails. So how does that work? Did you hire like a staff of bartenders? Do the drinks ideas come from you, come from the distillers, come from them? Like how does that process work? Yeah, it's been a really fun evolution. Um, our head, our head distiller, Mark, actually used to be a mixologist before he started distilling. And so him and I together sort of crafted our very first menu and it's evolved and it changes seasonally. And, you know, we make improvements as we go. And I always make sure when we're developing a drink that I'm asking, how can we tweak it? How can we elevate it? How can we make it better or more interesting? And now since then, we've been able to train a wonderful team of about eight bartenders. Some are part-time, some are full-time. And we have a head bartender on staff that manages all of that uh, menu development and tweaking. So um, I can now kind of sit in the background and let him take the, take the fame for all the delicious drinks. Obviously, speaking of staff um, and resources, this is such a tough time for anybody 
for, for everybody. Like I keep saying for anybody in the blank industry, but it's tough for mm -hmm. everybody, um, no matter what you do. But, you know, people that have small businesses are getting hurt, hurt really hard right now. But you guys decided to stay open and, and offer curbside pickup and delivery. But I know for so many places, restaurants and bars, it's not like just flipping a switch to completely change your business model. So mm. how, what have sort of the challenges been like? What has that process been for you guys? Yeah. And that, and that was how it felt at first. You know, I didn't want to flip a switch. I didn't want to make those quick decisions. I wasn't sure if 10th Ward was able to transition. So right when, I think it was before the stay at home mandate happened in Maryland, but after uh, bars and restaurants were closed for on-site consumption, that I was getting messages from my staff and questions from customers and, and breweries the same day were already transitioning to curbside pickup, which I, I don't blame them for. I'm sure they needed to bring in as much money as possible. And I was sitting there and I was like, I need to first think about, I need to take 24 hours, maybe 48 hours and think about what's best for our staff what's best for 10th board? How are we going to keep the lights on? So I met with our management team first because I wanted their feedback. Um, and that's our, our distiller, our wholesale manager, our head bartender, and my our marketing and events manager. And, you know, I said, what can we do? Can, can the website handle to-go orders? Will our front of house staff feel comfortable even operating still here and interacting with customers even on a to-go basis? And then we laid out a plan and, and before we communicated that publicly, I made sure every single one of my employees was aware of what was going on because we were already hearing horror stories of you know, restaurant employees that would wake up to an Instagram post to find out that their restaurant and employer had already closed down and they found out they were out, in a, out of a job that way. So, so to me, staff communication was super important first. We have a number of employees that are also caring for immunocompromised family members. It's very strange that three out of our 12 employees happen to um, be in a situation wow. like that. So that, yeah, um, so they were only part-time and voluntarily gave up their shifts along with a number of other employees who had full-time jobs and were just here one to two days a week. So I was able to um, kind of keep on a skeleton crew without having to worry about laying anybody off, which was nice. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and then from there, uh, we sort of took on different aspects of the business as announcements were made by the government. So, you know, first we decided to do curbside pickup and then we found out we could do delivery. So we started implementing that. Um, the need for hand sanitizer and surface disinfectant arose as well. So again, we had that conversation, you know, the first time that we looked into getting the materials needed for hand sanitizer, we would have had to buy $12,000 worth of glycerin. And I was like, all right, well, it's payroll or glycerin. <laughs> I don't, you know, maybe we shouldn't consider hand sanitizer. So then we looked into surface disinfectant and realized that that's a much simpler recipe, ethanol and distilled water, um, plus the packaging, uh, which is something we realized we could still supply to the community without uh, putting us out. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So that was a whole other, mm -hmm, yeah. So then that's a whole other aspect that we've been working on. <laughs> yeah, so talk about the surface disinfectant. How do you, I mean, it seems like a pretty simple recipe. Like most distillers I've talked to about making, you know, this new sanitizer in whatever way, or like, you know, it's so much simpler than all of our other recipes. Um, and then how do you distribute it? Are you donating it? Can people buy it? What's, what's the process for that? 
first thing we did was start to um, just put together a list of needs. Our phone, seriously, my bartenders can tell you, does not stop ringing from the second they get in to the second they leave of inquiries for those types of um, cleaning products and disinfectant products because they're not available in the stores right now. And so we, we gathered a list of needs and then we prioritized who out of those needs were essential businesses, um, frontline people like nursing homes, hospitals, fire stations, even news uh, crews that needed to be able to wipe down their cameras and their microphones. And then we were fortunate enough to get a donation from our bottle manufacturer, um, our packaging company of um, these big one gallon jugs. So from there, we've just been producing what we're capable of with materials we have on hand, fulfilling the needs of those essential businesses first. Um, our wholesale manager, who has her job has slowed down significantly with COVID uh, because restaurants and bars are closed and um, liquor stores aren't ordering as much. So she's now transitioned to the disinfectant <laughs> manager. Wow. So a role she way, never yeah, thought she'd play. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So in the same way that she makes an invoice for a liquor store, instead she does it for a business. We selected a number of industries also that we chose to donate to because we could afford to do some small donations or that we could just charge them at cost for those items. Um, and now, actually, as of last week, we finally were able to fulfill all those orders. So we'll be opening up, uh, starting today, um, the disinfectant for sale to the general public. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, for to, to just turn your operation over like that is incredible. To be donating is incredible. And then to be able to make, you know, have such capacity that now you're able to sell it is just, you created an entirely new business model in a matter of weeks. Like, you must be We're exhausted. And yeah, and I can't, you know, I just couldn't, the fact that we had the capability to do it, that meant I just couldn't say no, you know, I need, we felt like we, we are a huge part of the community and we wanted to give back uh, no matter what that looks like. So, so yeah, people can't, people come in, they pick up their orders here. And a lot of times they end up grabbing a bottle or a cocktail to go while they're getting their cleaner now. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, speaking and like speaking of the community, I think we're all kind of learning weird lessons during this time, um, whether it's personal or professional or whatever. But but what has the community response taught you and your staff just about life, about the business, about Frederick? I mean, what have you been kind of learning along the way? Frederick's awesome. I, it's been from the way that they've been supporting businesses. I mean, there are so many. There are like three or four Frederick County takeout Facebook groups now where people can post what businesses are offering delivery and curbside pickup to um, grants that the city has offered. We were one of the first recipients of a um, business resiliency micro grant that actually was able to cover payroll while we waited for other financial relief to come in to all of the efforts they've done to make hospital donations. There are even businesses that have called us and have said, can we buy surface disinfectant to donate and give away? Wow. And it's super heartwarming. It's, you know, it makes me feel really happy that we're here in Frederick and that we're in an awesome town that's been coming together. So many people are kind of taking this moment and thinking about it sort of as like a reset. Um, you know, what was I doing mm -hmm. before this and should I, what should I continue to be doing after this? I know we're still in the middle of it, so it's hard to even reflect yet, but do you think there is a similar opportunity in the distillery world? Like what are you hoping returns and what are you hoping changes going forward? I, I, the funniest thing that I think is going to change, which was neat, is the hand sanitizer thing and disinfectant. 
like, I wonder if you're going to start seeing at the grocery store things like 10 Ford hand sanitizer next to the Purell, um, because it's crazy that they were able to, to even just change the laws overnight to make it make us capable to be able to do this, something that would have taken us four to five years of lobbying. Right. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> something that uh, distilleries might also uh, be spending time doing, which is something we've been focusing on is filling barrels. As a small distillery, the hardest thing to do is to maintain keeping your product on the shelf while spending money and time filling barrels. It's almost like filling your savings account when you've when you've got the time and money capable, you do it. So we've been able to mostly focus on that. So we do have some aged product uh, ready down the pipeline. And then there's just a ton of other little maintenance things that this time has given us uh, the availability to do. Um, we've revamped our website. Our spirits page looks awesome now. Um, we've got a mural that we're working on finishing here, some bar work, those types of things. It's weird that I'm like caught up on emails. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like all those uh, home improvement projects you've put off or can people that you, you know, say, oh, we'll connect sometime in the future. I mean, now you're able to like mm-hmm. call them out on zoom. Cause you have the time or the books you were never able yeah. to read. Um, I know you guys are busy, but also it's, it's, it does, you know, we're all slowing down a little bit. So it is nice to kind of catch up on that stuff. So I want to, before we get into, yeah, it feels good. It, feel, like mentally. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Well, and that's the whole thing that I keep thinking pandemic Mm -hmm. notwithstanding and illness notwithstanding, like, are we supposed to live a little bit slower? And are we supposed to be outside Mm -hmm. more? And are we supposed to be reading more? I'm just trying to take the positives from this. And if there is any positive, it's probably that because there aren't many. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, I, before we get into sort of your products and, and going through those, I, I just want you to let people know how can they support you and what, are, what do you have sort of planned for the future? I know it's uncertain, but what can people look forward to? It always, you know, it means so much for people to support us, even if it's not financially, just signing up for our email newsletters, sharing our Facebook posts, reviewing us on Google, that all just helps us get the, the web reach out further in terms of a financially supporting us. We still have gift cards, uh, online gift cards for sale on our website. Uh, you can go to our homepage and click on a link now to our online store. We do uh, delivery within from within a 10 mile radius of our spirits, cocktail mixers, pre-mixed cocktails, merchandise, and then we're also doing curbside pickups. So for those out in the Baltimore region, you know, what else are you doing? <laughs> Take a trip out yeah. to, to Frederick and pick up some good stuff. <laughs> Now's the time for a road trip out to the mountains, it sounds like. Yeah. Have you heard of um, Mr. Nice Guy? There's a new cocktail uh, bar that opened up for just to go cocktails in Baltimore. I did hear about this. There, there are so many new innovative things happening. It's It's hard to keep up. Yeah, so they've got like five of our uh, cocktails on their menu. So that's another way to sort of inadvertently support us is by just going to liquor stores in that region or bar, uh, getting to go drinks in that region. And those are all listed on our website. Yeah. And so I just thinking about the future, like I said, I know it's uncertain, but, uh, you know, we've heard Governor Hogan talk about these uh, phased reopenings. Um, would you guys, are you considered a manufacturing site? Are you considered a bar? Like, where would you fall in that? And I'm sure you've had those conversations. Yeah, that's a good question. And we're still like between phase one and phase two, it's this weird, we're not sure yet. From what I understand, it's very likely that we would still be open for curbside pickup and deliveries, but not quite for on-site consumption. And then when that does happen, it would be at a limited capacity still with the requirement that people are sitting um, six feet apart from each other. 
So we're sort of ready and prepared to transition into that when we can. Um, I also understand that some of those allowances will still be in place. So if our capacity can only be at 50%, uh, the governor would still allow us to be doing deliveries and cocktails to go in order to supplement that income. Oh, that's great news. Cause yeah, I was wondering, mm-hmm. I was thinking about that for restaurants. Um, if you can only have I mean, they're, they're on low margins as it is um, with full dining rooms. So if you can only have 50%, how do you supplement that? So that's great to know about takeout and delivery. That's- and some of them are even asking themselves still, can we even afford to open back up at that capacity? I think we're fortunate in that we have a shelf-stable product that can sit in a bottle for a lifetime, uh, um, as opposed to restaurants that have a lot more overhead with cooks and ingredients and dishwashers and those types of things. I can't imagine. Yeah, no it's, you count your blessings where you can right now. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. definitely lucky. Okay. Speaking of your products, this is going to be a little different because it's a little earlier in the morning for me. So I probably won't be drinking along with you, but I did Mm want to go through your portfolio and talk about it and describe flavors and, and what you guys have to offer. So first up, I wanted to ask about your bestseller. Like, is there a spirit that just flies off the shelves? Most popular hands down. Yeah. Um, it usually it's going to be a mix between two and that just depends on what's going on at the time. Um, the absence here, this is what we call our absence nouvelle. Um, I'd say is our most popular in terms of like the first time purchase that you get from 10th ward. It's Maryland's first and only absence. We're very proud of it. It comes with you know, absinthe comes with a lot of fun myths and stories in the first place, but people also like the act of, of drinking it in the traditional way with a sugar cube and some water. So that one's a lot of fun. Yeah. How did you guys decide to do absinthe? I think that's so interesting. I've, you know, obviously absinthe is not what it used to be and uh, people looking for that experience might be you know, not disappointed, but like they might not be able to get that same experience. We, I, I had it in, in Paris and it was so cool to do the whole process with the sugar cube and mm-hmm. the whole thing. So what made you guys think like, okay, we're going to make Maryland's first absinthe? Yeah, it kind of fit in line with the unconventional style of things that we do. Our distiller at the time also had pro- happened to produce six commercial absinths prior to coming to 10th Ward, which isn't normal. It's a challenging spirit to distill uh, the oils that come from the anise and fennel and wormwood are very rich. And if you don't distill it right, you don't get the proper louche, which is um, what happens when the absinthe turns cloudy once you introduce cold water to it. Uh, so a lot of distillers in Maryland were like, man, we're not even going to mess with it. <laughs> and that's when I said, all right, then 10th Ward's doing it. And it's been super fun and popular ever since. We also get, we love busting the myths from from people that come in and think that they've had a crazy wild you know hallucinogenic experience when really they probably just got drunk yep. <laughs> if you drink enough of it I mean who knows what you'll see but that's just being drunk yeah uh, that's so cool okay and then what's the other spirit that you said is super popular yeah, I spoke a little bit about this, the springtime liqueur. Um, we are known for our seasonal and limited releases. A lot of time we'll release spirits that are only made uh, here at 10th Ward. We don't wholesale them. The, the liqueurs we're starting to wholesale, but the one-time releases sometimes will only do like 80 to 100 bottles. And those are the one, the, the guys that fly off the shelf that people line up for during those release days. And so that makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. So how would you recommend drinking that one? Like, is there a cocktail in particular you think works well? Our liqueurs are nice, um, a nice way to brighten something in herbally and um, giving more complexity to a drink. So we always like to put it in our champagne because oh, it nice. brightens it up a little bit. 
um, or mix it with ginger beer. Um, both of those kind of go well with both of those spirits, with all of all four of those spirits. Yeah, depending on your mood. If you're feeling fancy, go mm -hmm. for the champagne. I, I like, I love that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then this next category, uh, some people are always like, I don't know, nothing's really an accident. Like we work really hard to make our things how we want them to be. But for the happy accident, was there a spirit that turned out just differently than you thought, or you were surprised by how well it was received? Anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the smoked corn whiskey here. Yes, my favorite. Yeah, good. Our, uh, I was, this was one of those like conversations that I was having and again at a bar with a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I was like, I want to make a corn whiskey, but everybody associates corn whiskey, whiskey with moonshine. You know, I want, I want it to taste better than moonshine. I want people to want to sip on it normally. I want it to be award-winning, whatever. And he said, you should smoke the corn in the corn whiskey. And I was like, oh my gosh, we should smoke the corn. So then I called our farmer and I said, could you try to smoke our corn and see what happens? And he said, actually, I'm very famous for my proprietary ham smoking recipe. And I have a traditional smokehouse on my farm. Oh my God. Um, yeah, so it was kind of perfect. So he smokes the corn. He still keeps the recipe proprietary. Uh, I have customers all the time that try to guess what it's smoked with, applewood, mesquite, cherrywood, who knows. And then um, it created this really cool, unique flavor profile where the, the whiskey actually ends up drinking more like a mezcal. Yeah. Uh, this is the unaged version. So this is the white uh, version. This is what it tastes like right out of the still. Um, after it's been proofed down, it's going to um, have those mezcal tequila-like notes. And so we actually mixed it in a margarita here at the bar in a jalapeno margarita. Yeah. So my friend Amy is the one who introduced me to it. And oh, I was fine. helping her get ready for um, like a dinner party. And she's like, oh, will you make a margarita? And she handed it to me. And I was like, well, this is whiskey. And she's like, no, but <laughs> try it. And you're exactly right. It drinks like a mezcal. Uh, we made the jalapeno margarita with your recipe, I think, that came with the bottle. Yeah. And it was a hit and everyone at the party was like, I can't believe this is whiskey. Like, it's just one of those things that kind of, <laughs> like you said, sort of turns your expectations on your head and it teaches you a little something. So I, I, yeah. I love that, that, uh, that whiskey. It's, it's so cool. Thank you. And then um, we also barrel age it. We don't have any in stock now, but normally we have um, what we call our smoked bourbon. Um, so once it's got oak on it, it kind of loses that tequila taste, but then we have this really cool product. That's almost like a bourbon for scotch drinkers mm. um, or a bourbon for bourbon drinkers that want something different. So this, this one's been a lot of fun too. So that's more whiskey-like than tequila-like probably. Yes. Yeah. Correct. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then your personal favorite, I know they're all your babies mm. and it's probably hard to choose, but do you have one um, that's just your your go-to in your portfolio. What I what what ends up being becoming the most fun for us are uh, what we call our, our bottle club releases. Uh, so we have a bottle club membership that you can join for free, and every quarter we release a, a new uh, style of spirit that only bottle club members uh, have access to. They're they're not necessarily required to pay for it; they can opt out. But if they don't, we'll run their card. Usually, only a few members decide to opt out depending on if it's something they're not interested in. Um, and those have recently been my favorite because it's a really fun way for us to get the creative juices flowing and continue to do the, the word off ordinary stuff while maintaining our spirit line and continually improving on the quality of that. So we've done some really fun things like um, something we called Papa Maro. It's an Amaro style spirit that we infuse with pawpaws, which is a native fruit to Maryland yeah. that almost is like trapped tasting. I don't know if you've ever had it I've before. had it in um, beer before and it was really good. Yeah. 
So we're doing fun stuff like that. Uh, we just released something called the Conservation Cordial, where we um, took a bunch of delicious invasive species from the Maryland Bay area, like honeysuckle and uh, what's it called, mimosa tree, uh, uh, the like flowers that come from those and a few other items. And uh, we taglined it, save the bay, devour the interlopers. <laughs> um, uh, so that, so those are, those are my favorite just because it, it, it's something that you get one time only and then you never get again. So you, people start to collect them and uh, it makes for a fun program. Yeah, those experiments are usually sometimes the most mm -hmm. fun stuff. So tell people how they can, if they want to become members, if they just want to follow you guys, mm -hmm. go to your website, like is Instagram the best way or where are you kind of posting updates? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook um, are always the best places to see immediate updates. And then uh, we do have an email newsletter on our website that you can sign up for where we send out monthly email blasts and um, announcements whenever we have new releases coming out. Those are the best, the best three avenues to follow us from. Our website also stays up to date on our calendar. Obviously, right now it's pretty empty. <laughs> um, but in the future, people can see, you know, what farmers markets we're attending, festivals, that type of stuff. And if they do want to order anything right now um, during COVID under state of emergency, we'll continue to have our online store up on our website um, that you can click at just by going to our homepage, which is um, 10thwarddistilling.com. And you guys have great merch too. I mean, I know on your website, there's, <clears throat> there's cocktail kits, there's spirits, um, but I love the merch. I love that uh, whiskey women t-shirt. I'm going to have to yeah, say, there's a mug those. too. Oh, I need the mug. Mm -hmm. I need it all. Um, <laughs> but I love what you're doing, you know, representing women in the industry too. I know that's, that's huge. So, so thank you so much just for opening yeah. the business and, and staying open during this time, everything you're doing in the sanitation cleanser area has just been really inspiring and I can't wait to actually go there in person and meet you in person. It will happen one day. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. You'll love the lab. <laughs> yeah, I need to come to the lab. So hopefully next time we do this, we'll be toasting in person. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm glad that we've been able to connect in, in a virtual way. Um, and I appreciate you, know, you uh, thinking about us and reaching out.